Thanks for listening to this episode of The Narrative. Before we get started, if you've got a question or a comment for a future episode that you'd like us to address, feel free to give us a call or text us at 614-769-7077. Again, that number is 614-769-7077. Or you can send us an email, thenarrative at ccv.org. This is America's most neglected major problem. It affects families. It affects Businesses, if you're a small business that relies on discretionary income, like you're, you're paying the price for all this. Like all, all this money that people are losing, that's money they're not spending at your business. This needs to be on your agenda if you're somebody who wants to make a difference in America. Welcome back to The Narrative. I'm Center for Christian Virtue Communications Director Mike Andrews, here with my co-host, CCV President Aaron Baer, and our Policy Director David Mahan, unpacking the news of the day. And we're right at the start of 2023, just a couple of weeks into it, and fellas, one thing that we suspected would be on the horizon, we found out last week, is in fact happening, and that's uh, an abortion battle coming up on the Ohio ballot, most likely in November. Aaron, can you kind of take our listeners through some of that? Yeah. At least what we know right now. No, for sure. You know, I think really the, the big picture on this is since Dobbs, since the Dobbs decision back uh, in July, June uh, that overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, there has been a really uh, well-funded uh, effort by the pro-abortion community to uh, create a, a right to abortion in states all over the nation. Um, and the, the, the blunt reality of it is pro-lifers have lost uh, in every single one of these states. Six states have had this issue brought up since just since June, uh, and pro-lifers are 0 for 6 right now. Um, and so we, we knew that uh, sort of Planned Parenthood and, and the ACLU and a number of these pro-abortion groups were kind of sniffing around thinking about coming to Ohio with this. We figured we'd be dealing with this at some point. Uh, and they have made their intentions clear that uh, on November 7th of 2023 in Ohio, there will be a constitutional amendment to create a right to abortion uh, in Ohio uh, that Ohio voters will be voting on. Uh, and we might be the only state going in 2023. They're, they're saying they're going to look at a number of other states yeah. in 2024. Um, but it, it's, it's certain they're now going forward in 2023 in Ohio. Uh, and it, you know, we don't, haven't seen the actual language yet. That language won't come out until February, until about mid-February, end of February, according to their press releases, the the, the pro-abortion group's press releases. Uh, but we fully in, expect this to be a, a ballot initiative to create a right to abortion up until birth, um, and be one of the most extreme abortion policies. I mean, they're they're going to try to make Ohio, California, and put it into our state constitution, which all but locks it in. Uh, for the next generation, I mean, for, for the foreseeable future. So this is literally a fight for, for lives uh, right now. Yeah, I think this is one, one area that's going to take the body of Christ to, to stand firm. Um, pastors are going to have to, it's, it's an education thing. When you look at the six um, states that where, where we really, where we lost, it was a lack of education. Um, they could play with the messaging, um, you know, on the ballot. And, uh, and folks just didn't know enough um, to, to, to come out and fight against it. So I think the awareness campaign that happens again, we may not be able to beat them with money, but we can beat them with people. Yeah. And, and Dave, I think that's, that's such a big part of this. And I, I want to just take a minute to talk about, about this point here on the messaging side, because this is something that there, there's been a few things that since this has all happened that have kind of set, set me off. Go figure. Uh, this happens from time to time. That I got upset about, right? Like we we know we're gonna get out outspent, right? We we know That's we right. can't we can't go toe to toe with them on dollars, right? But that, quite frankly, that 
this is what CCB does every day, right? We mm-hmm. we we know we can't beat the teachers unions uh, fighting their game, right? Um, but we know that doesn't mean we lose, right? We, we and you know, take Michigan for example. We got pro lifers got to spend three to one, but at the same 60 time, sixty million. Yeah, they got the, the left had sixty million. Yeah, but pro lifers raised about twenty three million right. there, right? It wasn't a it wasn't an underfunded campaign. We we expect to be able to raise serious money. Um, we're going to need everybody and all the help we can get on that. But, but I, I think a lot of times, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to name names and I'm not going to specifically call out groups, but I, I just, I remember seeing after the Kansas loss and after Kentucky and Michigan, I heard a lot of excuse making on the pro-life side. Um, and, and some things along the lines of, well, you know, the left just lies so much, you know, the, their, their ads were so lot were, were lying so much and. And, you know, they, they were just so, they were saying things about the, the initiative that just weren't true. And it's like, yeah, guys, they're baby killers. Like, of course they're going to lie. We're, we're going after their, 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 their cash cow here. Right. And they're, they're true believers in this stuff. They're going to throw everything they have at it. And so I think for, for the pro-life community, as we're thinking about this fight coming to Ohio, one, just, just lose all uh, thoughts on... That on the left and, and the, the pro-abortion groups running a campaign with integrity and dignity, right? Yeah. Um, we and, need a strong message. We, right. We need a yeah. strong base. We need to get out early. Yep. Right. They, they were, some of these states were just way too late. Yep. We can't you wait. Know. We got to start talking to pastors now, right? Yeah. And, and, and the, other thing, the other thing about this, too, that really uh, jumped out to me on this is, you know, me saying I'm concerned about this initiative. I, I think I think we can and will win, right? I I, I do. I, I think it's going to be a, a the maybe the most difficult ballot fight we've ever had in Ohio, and I'm counting things like the marriage amendment and other things like that on this. Um, but I think we can and will win. But one of the big things that I, I keep coming back to, and a few folks, you know, a few of my 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 good followers on Twitter that that love to come at me all the time. They'll say, oh, Aaron's saying he's concerned about this. I thought, it, you know, Aaron always talks about how Ohio is a pro-life state. And I have n- no doubt that Ohio is a pro-life state. But we ne- what we need to understand on this initiative is that when people are going to vote on this, they're not voting on what they think about abortion, right? They're voting on, do they think they can tell somebody else what to do? Mm-hmm. The reality of abortion has been sort of uh, covered up by slick messaging, even by the word abortion itself, right? It it it, it kind of kind of covers up that that actually the life of a child is being taken in a most gruesome way possible. Sometimes by being torn limb from limb. Sometimes by having an acid injected into them. Sometimes by being having labor induced, uh, and the child just being expelled from the mother's womb alive and into a toilet, right? So the the reality of what abortion is is kind of covered up. And so ultimately, what the debate comes down to is. Yeah, and this is, I know, Dave, your, your wife sees this every day in the pregnancy center is, you know, does, does that, this voter think that they can tell a, a, a low-income woman in a very difficult situation what to do, right? And, and that, that tough situation, that message is actually what we're having to, to put in context, right? And, and help, under, help folks understand that, one, not only are you t- ending up taking a life here, but you're actually not even helping that woman. Yeah. That's a really hard message to put into a 30-second TV ad, right? This, this conveys the difficulty of what we're talking about. Um, and it also conveys how, you know, we have to be so much smarter 
and how we're we're marketing this, right, Dave? Yeah, the the abortion is what the who is what's most important. What are we aborting? Right, there would be no abortion without what it does, and that's it's it's in a in a human life. And I think that the more we can paint that picture of the who that's being affected, the more we win. Right. The more we get into you know the the libertarian type you know style of you know taking away choices. As a, as, as a society, there's certain things that we just cannot condone in murder being one of them. Right. Right. And so we just need to stick to the humanity of the child. Uh, and really, we just need not to be lazy. Get up, talk right. to somebody, get out and vote, take somebody with yep. you, um, support, you know, the, the initiative that's going on to defeat this, what I would think is demonic uh, attack against the image of God. Right. No, and and, and I, I think, too, Dave, the other aspect of this is, we have to be willing to, to look at the abortion issue from a wide variety of viewpoints in how we message this, right? So, for example, ab- abortion is murder, right? But there's so many other aspects of this industry that I think for folks would, would help inform their vote, right? Mm-hmm. So you might not actually think abortion is all that bad, right? You might not be convinced that, that, that life begins inside the womb. Uh, but do you think human trafficking is wrong? And do you think that uh, it's wrong that Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry is often used uh, by traffickers to to conceal uh, what's happened to the the women they pimp and prostitute, to conceal rape, to conceal uh, child rape and things yeah. like that. Right? We have such unbelievable stories. Do, do you think it's wrong to sell body parts? Right? Um, and and things like that. There's there's thing there's aspects of this issue that I think, and, and I will say this is. Already, you know, Dave, you were out in Washington last week because um, I can't stand being out there anymore. Um, it's your turn to <laughs> from one swamp to another to, to breathe that polluted air. Um, but talking with with firms about this, you know, a, a lot of our pro life friends are, are are working with us on this uh, on how we attack it. And I think one of the things we're really committed to at CCV is when we're we're mounting this effort, we're going to be smart about how we do our our campaign. Um, we're going to be uh, we're, we're, we're not going to get locked down in the messages that make us feel good. We're going to get, get focused on the messages that win. Um, and to Dave's point, uh, first and foremost, we have to awaken the church um, to, to get involved in this. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's some aspect to this too. We don't want to get into a battle of words right. with, with an organization that's calling themselves Ohioans for reproductive freedom. Right. When <laughs> yeah. reproduction has already occurred. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it's not the freedom that's on the line here that they think it is. So to just have these discussions and try and get down to that level, that's not how we win. We win by telling the better story and bringing these things out into the open so that the average voter knows what they're voting for. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, Mike, you just tapped on one of my, my favorite just general political rules, which is whatever the left says they're advocating for, they're actually advocating for the other thing. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, reproductive freedom. Nobody's trying to stop anybody from reproducing. The only people that are actually trying to stop reproduction are the people that are pro-abortion. They're trying to cut off the process of, of reproduction. Um, it, it, it's it's. It's insane. You, you brought up just a, a piece about telling a story. I, I travel I used to more before I got to CCV and destroyed my life. <laughs> but I used to travel a lot with survivors of human trafficking and very progressive audiences, social work, um, law enforcement, education. And it was it's always amazing. The last day of the seminar, you would have five or six survivors up there and almost like to an event, you would have somebody ask the question about 
did you ever conceive? You know, when you were being trafficked, when you were a victim, did you ever conceive what happened with that? And it shocks me every time that the room is dropped down quiet when these women talk about how they were forced to have abortions. They were forced to abort babies that they wanted, yep. right? And the effect that that has on them 20, 30 years, some of them 40 years later. Um, I don't know if someone in that audience had ever heard that story before about the humanity of the woman, right, and the humanity of her child and being forced to do something as heinous as that and the effect that it have on her years later. Um, you know, think back on all of the human trafficking stories you've heard. It's very, you know, right and left. People are talking about human trafficking quite a bit. And, and, and think about how many times you've heard that angle. Most people don't want to hear that. And I think it's up for us in the body that know better to teach better so that we can do better. Okay. Well, another big issue that's uh, coming up in 2023 for us, of course, is the backpack bill. And if we ever needed an argument for school choice, uh, we saw something come through today that we wanted to, to share with our mm -hmm. listeners and uh, just take a, a listen to some of this video that we received from uh, Accuracy in Media. It's a website that did some undercover work in Ohio talking to some DEI specialists in the greater Columbus area about their policies, particularly surrounding critical race theory in classrooms. And, and before we play this, guys, I, you know, the, regardless of how you feel about DEI, right, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or diversity, inclusion, and equity, as I like to say, D-I-E. <laughs> so, critical race theory, CRT. Listen, there, there's terrible messaging on both sides of that argument. Really, what we're about to let you listen to is not about DEI or D-I-E or CRT. It's about parents being the viewpoint of public educators on parents being barriers to um, service. That's what we're talking about here. Go ahead and play all I can think of when I think of that house bill is my southern parents always raising us on these old funky phrases that I never understood. <laughs> and one of them was, there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> so whether you, you can pass a bill that you can't mm -hmm. teach CRT in a classroom, but if you didn't cover programming, Mm -hmm. Or you didn't cover extracurricular activities or yeah. something like that. That message might still get out. Mm -hmm. Oops. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Oh, gosh, I love that. Oops. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. There would be a way. We kept getting these emails. Uh, do you have critical race theory in your curriculum? Which was what the talking point was from a certain news channel. <laughs> so we got to the point where first we're going to ask you, what do you mean by critical race theory? Do you think we're teaching higher education, grad school stuff to your second grader? And then the second <laughs> thing is, no, we don't have that in our curriculum. You didn't ask about the conversations in the hallway. You didn't ask about, which we don't have those anyway. But the point is, we're going to answer your question. No, we're in our curriculum. Does critical race theory exist? And it went away. Sorry. We don't well, have to. I kind of want to know that y'all are having some conversation around like the tenets of it, like diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice. Those conversations are happening. <laughs> Absolutely. But, right but, you know, and when okay. people ask us a question, we answer their question. But, yes, we absolutely have those conversations going on. Pretty clear evidence that this is in the school system, even if it's not the curriculum. It's being admitted by higher-ups in the school district that this is in the schools. David, just so, help us unpack this. I, 
This man has amen everything I've been saying for 20 years of, of sitting in classrooms all across the country. He, he just verbalized what I've been trying to convince teachers, principals, and parents that is going on. Um, I don't know if, you, if, if, if we played this part in the cut, but this director of DEI said, you know, oops. Like if, if we omitted something, if, if yeah, we're, it's not in the curriculum, but oops, you know, if it comes out in instructional materials, if it comes out in another way, then oops. Um, he made a quote that said five years, they look back and say, after five years, they look back and say, what the heck happened? Family, I want you to think about how many times you've said that. How many times you've seen something crazy in the media about what kids are doing? Whether it's about sexuality, whether it's about gender, transgender ideology, drugs, vaping, drugs, <laughs> anything. And, and then how many times you've looked across the dinner table at your spouse or whoever, your grandparents, your mother, father, and said, what is going on? How do we get here? He just told you when you send your children to Pharaoh, right? Don't wonder why they, 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 they come out the way that they are. Um, we've sent them to Pharaoh for generations to be indoctrinated, educated, and then they come out, and then four to five years later, we wonder what the heck is going on. Oops. Yeah, no, Vince, look, we should just play that clip for them, that, that second part. Here, let's play that. You can pass a bell that you can't mm -hmm. teach CRT in a classroom, but if you didn't cover programming, Mm -hmm. Or you didn't cover extracurricular activities or yeah. something like that. That message might still get out. Mm -hmm. Oops. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Oh gosh, I love that. Oops. Mm -hmm. It's right there. Right. And, and this is this is why the backpack bill, school choice, is so important to to give parents an option to get their kids away out of this environment. Well, and and that's the to me. There's so many things to unpack here. First and foremost, it's actually why you know CCV. We we have. We have supported a lot of these bills to to sort of change curriculum in Ohio schools. Things like the the CRT ban, mm. things like um, you know curriculum transparency. All like these are all good concepts, right? We 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 think they are worthwhile uh, endeavors. At the same time, not deep enough. We we have to acknowledge their limitations, right? He this this guy just highlighted. Everything like proved everything we have been saying that the only way you actually stop this is by give, making parents the accountability mechanism. Because again, we have 611 or so public school districts in the state. You know that's oh, that's that's tens of thousands of actual school buildings, right? Uh, and there is no way we could have a bureaucracy big enough to actually enforce any of these laws. The only people that it can actually enforce. Anything against these schools are the individual parents. And the only way the parents can actually enforce anything is if they can take their kids out and the taxpayer dollars follow. That's why it's, it's, it's not enough to have a voucher program that is only for low-income kids. It's not enough to have a voucher program that's just for kids in, in failing academic schools. It's this kind of garbage because this, the, the reason why this guy is laughing is because he knows no matter what a parent does, he's still getting his taxpayer dollars. They're still getting their hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. They, they, they don't have to care. They don't they don't care what any parent says. They're able to laugh them off. And so, so there, there's that aspect of it. The second aspect I, I, I do want to just pound on with him is, again, this is for, for, for as as transparent as this guy was, they are teaching critical race theory in in public schools in Upper Arlington, in every public school 
in the state of Ohio and really in every public school in, in America. Because again, what, what he is categorizing here is, are they teaching in the class, boys and girls, this is what critical race theory is, right? And he is being honest. The one thing he is being honest about here is, yes, they, they, correct. They are not doing that. They're not going to second graders. They're not even going to high school students, most likely, and saying, here's what critical race theory is. Here is who Kimberly Crenshaw is. Here who mm-hmm. is Herman Marcuse. No, that's right. They're not doing that. That's not what we're accusing them of. Uh, and that's not even a proper understanding of what critical theory broadly or critical race theory specifically is. Critical race theory, critical theory, is a, it's a worldview. It's a way of understanding the world around us, right? It's a way of interpreting facts in history and building a grand narrative about mm-hmm. what is just and what is unjust, right? This is, this is a, a Marxist worldview that tries to explain the world, explain things through a power dynamic. And that is the worldview that every major university is teaching teachers to explain the world, teaching teachers to explain history, teaching teachers to explain society and, and justice and what's right and wrong. And that is absolutely being taught and used in every class. It's the lens that they explain the world, right? There's, there's not a Christian worldview and then this secular worldview that is completely non-biased towards anything. No, nobody's omniscient, right? We, I know we're going down a worldview discussion here and, and we're doing news, but I, I, this is so important. for. There's not like the, 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 this Christian worldview and then an Islamic worldview and a Jewish worldview and a, a, you know, a, a, a Hindu worldview. But then there's the secular worldview that is nonpartisan and non-biased and it perfectly no that that doesn't every worldview has a perspective it's coming mm-hmm. from. We would say the Christian worldview is the only true one. It has an explanation for all of life and humanity and righteousness and, and, and evil. They're doing the same thing with their religious worldview through critical theory. And that's the lens that's being taught in schools right now. And an important distinction here too, I think. It's not that there are discussions about race that are taking place. Those are necessary right. and important right. discussions. Yes. Right. It is the means by which they're having those conversations right. to create this division and separation. Because between... there are important conversations right. that need to be had about race, and CRT is not that. Exactly. But this man here, just what he just illustrated for everyone listening, is that what parents want doesn't matter. No. You know, we're going to lie and trick you. The first young lady said, we're going to trick parents. That's what you need to catch. You know, these are publicly funded schools. I want to know on paper at the beginning of the year everything you intend to impart into my child. The child that my wife bore, right, that I feed, that I pay for, air conditioning, heat, car. Listen, that's my baby. That's my child. It is on me to raise that child in the fear and admonition of the Lord and, and teach him how to walk, teach him how to eat. And if I put that child in that school, then you have a responsibility to me. I am not a barrier of, to service, right? You work for me, right? So that is what this man just illustrated, you know, in a nutshell, is that you don't matter, parents. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to do. And, and let, let me put a really fine point on this to, to, to what Dave just said. If you are a, a, a Christian, if you are a conservative, and you say you care about reforming the public schools and how broken the public schools are and, and everything going on there, and you are not advocating for the backpack bill, and that is not your top priority, these people like this, these public school administrators, are laughing at you. They know they don't have to take you seriously. They, they, they know that you are a joke because everything that you're doing, they're able to get around. Because what makes them invis- invincible 
is the fact that they have a guaranteed income stream from taxpayers that nothing will take away from them. And that's why they freak out so much about the backpack bill, because that gets at the thing that is their biggest protection. Well, one of these weeks, fellas, we're going to find a topic that you're passionate about so we can really bring some fire to this program. We're, we're going to keep working out there, listeners. Tired of it. Tired of it, Mike. <laughs> keep doing it, man. Well, hey, I want you all to stick around. Coming up after a quick break, we've got a, a great conversation coming up with Les Bernal from Stop Predatory Gambling. We will be right back on The Narrative. Hey, Narrative listeners. You know, Christians in the marketplace today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. Businesses are following woke capitalism, chambers of commerce are beholden to social justice, and secular activists are chipping away Christians' First Amendment rights. As Ohio's only Christian Chamber of Commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for, to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. To find out more and to join, go to cbpohio.org. That's cbpohio.org. Welcome back to The Narrative. Thanks for sticking around. We're so excited now to be joined by Les Bernal. And Les is the National Director of Stop Predatory Gambling, a national advocacy network working to reveal the truth behind commercialized gambling operators to prevent more victims. Les, thank you so much for the time today to talk with us about, uh, I think, somewhat of an under-the-radar topic for for a lot of people out there. Yeah, we consider the problem of predatory gambling America's most neglected major problem. You know, what you're seeing in Ohio uh, is what you're seeing across the country, and that is commercialized gambling is now the public voice of American government today. It's what we advertise and market to the American people more than anything else. And and it's a major uh, reason that we have so much uh, family dysfunction in our country, so much wealth inequality, so much poverty, and frankly, why we, in many ways, why government is broken, regardless of where your political stripes stand. It's a, It's been an epic policy fa- failure, and it's time to reform it. And one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you now, Les, is because sports gambling just became legal in Ohio as of January 1st. And it's everywhere. We can't even drive to work down our street without seeing a big billboard about Ohio can finally bet on the home teams. I can't log on to Twitter without seeing about six different ads for different gambling networks uh, in my feed. This is this is something that's not only there for to be available for people, but it's seeking out people to try and get them hooked and get them into the, the system, if you will. Yeah, it's important to a couple of notes. It's important for your listeners to understand that like, there was no grassroots movement in Ohio for commercialized sports gambling. Like, This was driven by very powerful financial interests in, in concert with some media companies, billionaire uh, professional sports team owners, um, as, as, you know, as well as some, you know, I would say, you know, uh, uh, politicians from both political parties driven by a lust for power. And so now what you what they're doing with this with online sports gambling is, you know, you, you, you guys, you know, we're all grown, we're all grown ups here, right? I mean, so and you're seeing all this advertising. Imagine what it's like if you're like a, a 16 year old kid or a 12 year old kid who loves sports, love your loves your Ohio sports teams. And now, like to be a sports fan, like it's not enough just to watch the drama of the sports or the competition. Like 
how these, these this marketing occurs is they frame it as like you're not a sports fan anymore unless you're you know unless you're betting on these games and so it, it's normalizing gambling for kids in Ohio and across our country and so the reality is what you're do- what, what the state is doing is they're unleashing an epidemic of child gambling across the state and and, and the only people who, who are going to benefit from this epidemic of child gambling are the people that run the gambling games. All the citizens in Ohio, regardless of whether you ever gamble, whether you ever place a wager or not, like you're going to pay for this for this tragedy, both both from a, a, a family standpoint, from a standard of living standpoint, and from a, a, a financial standpoint, because you we all suffer a lower standard of living when there's so much money being lost on commercialized gambling. It's a it's a the economic impact of all this commercialized gambling that you have in Ohio is the economic impact is like, it's like whipping out a hundred dollar bill, throwing it into the street and then paying somebody minimum wage to pick it up. It's a sterile transfer of wealth. And so we all suffer for that. Yeah. Uh, Les, I want to drill in on that just a little bit more here, because I I think it's one of those, I remember testifying against this a few years ago and we, we held this off. I I like to keep saying we let, we held it off as long as we can. And, and uh, as long as we could here and, and eventually they, you know, they they have endless money and resources, right? Uh, it's 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 big ROI for them on spend a little bit on spend spend a lot of it on on lobbyists, but on the other side, you get uh, you get a, a huge payout. Um, and, and you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about here at, at CCV is is cultural transformation, right? We 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 want to change culture in a lot of different ways, um, and. I, the, there's the sad reality is I think there's very few things that actually do change culture, right? Um, technology changes culture, right? Um, uh, you know, I think it's the reason why we're focusing so much on the backpack bill, right? Changing the way we, we fund education, that'll change culture in times. Um, legalized commercialized gambling is as you call it, rightfully so commercialized gambling changes culture. It changes the way we look at sports. Can, can you dive in a little bit more about how this warps the way we, we understand sports and the next generation, especially will look at sports. Because now, you know, I, I played sports my whole life. I was a, a, a men's high school and college basketball coach for many years. Like I love sports as much as anyone you're going to see. And so it was, I was driven by the competition. I love the drama of sports, the camaraderie of it all. But now, you know, the sporting experience, when you're watching an event, they, what, they're, what they're doing with this, it's not just betting on, you know, will the Bengals cover the spread against the Ravens, you know, when they play in their game. It's, it's I'm going to bet on every single play of the game. You know, you know is this next play going to be a run or a pass? So, for, in a, so in a gambling way what they're doing is making experience of watching sports like playing a slot machine you know so so it becomes what you what you're being driven by that the value here the villain in this is greed it's greed by the gambling operators it's greed by public officials who have blinded themselves on purpose to the harm the financial harm this causes and the on the public health harm, uh, harm this causes but it's driven by greed of the individual like somehow like instead of watching sports for all the reasons we've loved sports for so long, now you're watching it because it's all about the money. You know, like there's been countless anecdotes around the country where like you, you have people who, who aren't even sports fans. Okay. They could care less. They can't even name a player on a team and they're wagering like tens of thousands of dollars on these sporting events because it's, it's the, it's about the gambling. It's not about the game. And so, 
it's it's appalling. And you have people, you have professional athletes right now who put themselves out there like, you know, like as if they're good Christians, like Drew Brees, who talks about, you know, being a good Christian as much as anybody out there. He's been promoting points bet, which is a gambling operator in our country. So like, there's an incredible hypocrisy amongst people who, you know, say they, you know, are passionate believers in, in Christian values and so on, who are stand up and promoting predatory gambling. And in the big picture, the reason why this matters is people say, well, gambling, this is harmless. When we talk about loving your neighbor like yourself, the way Jesus loves us, right? This is the antithesis of that. This is a government program that's based on cheating and exploiting your neighbor. Okay, this is about loving yourself more than your neighbor. So this goes to the very heart of what it means to, to, to put love into the world. So whether you, you know, gamble whether you're a sports fan or not like this is going to affect you and your community in a profound way and and, and i actually want to add here the end game you know we're talking about sports gambling right now the end game is not sports gambling all these companies that are in ohio right now where they make their money companies like DraftKings, they make 80 percent of their gambling profits from online casino gambling Mm. okay so what they couldn't when they ran this through Ohio. They couldn't get the whole the whole enchilada all at once. They they couldn't pass online casino gambling. So what the goal is is, well, you know, sports gambling is certainly profitable to a point. Where the real money is is online gambling, online casino gambling. To open up a slot machine parlor right in your kid's bedroom and in their dorm room, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. So with the sports gambling apps, merely operate to they get people to sign up right here. Here's a thousand dollar risk free bet. They get you to sign up through the app, but the end game is then to trans- transition all these people over to the online casino app once they get online casino gambling legalized in Ohio. So that's that's really where what they want. Right. So so let's I'm going to play the devil's advocate or, or the libertarian advocate um, here for a minute. So, you know, who cares? Like, you know, so what a guy is greedy. So what? Um, you know, somebody wants to gamble, you know, everybody do it. This is America. Do what you want to do. You know what? What are some of the human costs um, to sports betting that you're seeing in other states, uh, particularly the young people? Right. Because, again, you know, hey, you got to you got to be 18 or 21. I don't know what's the 21. Here. You got to be 21 here in the state of Ohio to, to sports, you know, bet and all that kind of thing. So we're not even talking about kids. So w- speak to that real quick. Yeah. So I, I think it's important to understand anyone who's who puts them, th- themselves out there as like a quote unquote true libertarian, like they're with us 100 percent in this fight, because what a real libertarian believes in is they believe in small government, right? Less government. What you have with this sports gambling effort in Ohio and as well as your regional casinos and your lottery, like this is a government program. You and I can't run our own sports gambling operation. These guys get monopolies they get licenses in your state in partnership with the state there's no free enterprise here this is no you know uh, you know uh, economic engine this this is a, a monopolies get you know the ultimate example of crony co- capitalism they they've lobbied for this and now they they bought such a bought and paid uh, both political parties in ohio to ram this through and so i think that's really important to understand like th- this is if people want to gamble you know you know if you want to be reckless with your money Sure, you can be reckless with your money, but you can do that privately. Like commercialize, you know, people could already gamble. You and I could already place a sports bet with one another prior to Ohio doing this. It was already legal. What was illegal is you couldn't run sports gambling as a business. Okay. You couldn't 
run it for profit. But if you want to place a private wager with a friend or whatever, no one was stopping you from doing that. So I think that's an important distinction to make. And in terms of, you know, the, the biggest demographic in Ohio that's going to pay the price for this is, the, is Ohio kids. Because as we touched on earlier, one, it's the, all these kids now, it normalizes predatory gambling for kids. Like you can't be a sports fan anymore without, um, you know, betting on the games. And what the impact that has had is now you have kids literally, you know, 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds walking into states like New Jersey. You have you have 18-year-old kids walking into Gamblers Anonymous meetings, okay, which was never happening before because if you're – this is like, you know, totally – it's really marketed to kids. Like we, we, we love sports. Like because all your peers are doing it, like this this is a – this. This is this form of gambling, okay? And, and and this isn't me saying this. This is the American Psychiatric Association saying this mm-hmm. in what's called the DSM-5, which is known as the Mental Health Bible. It's what the health insurance companies use and every yeah. doctor uses to, to do healthcare billing around mental health. They've labeled gambling addiction as severe an addiction as, cocaine's, as cocaine, opioids, and heroin. Okay, that's the impact that gambling addiction has. That, that's the science behind this. And now you have a government program actively encouraging young people to do this. And so you're seeing kids across the country today getting addicted to gambling. That's why you're having an epidemic of child gambling across the country today because of this. Les, this is such a a point I want to dwell on here because I think a lot of times, you know, when folks hear an organization, for example, called Center for Christian Virtue, uh, saying we oppose gambling and gambling expansion and, and things like the lottery and things like that, there, what what they have in mind is the old moral majority and and you know kind of pearl cut clutching Christians saying, oh, gambling is a sin, therefore you know we need to ban it, right? And um, and, and I, you know I'll I'll honestly we can have a theological debate about this. I I actually don't think there's necessarily something sinful about me and Mike betting on the the Cubs and and you know uh, Guardians World Series together, right? That I would have won if we were working together Ouch. at the time. I don't um, bet, Pastor. I right, just want everybody to no, know I don't bet with these guys. Right. But it, but it's it's it, it's it's not that right. Christians care about this issue because of what what you walked through right there. One, you mentioned the, the impact on the uh, on children. Um, can you talk a little bit about the impact on on low income Ohioans and the exploitative uh, uh, effect? Of, and and I, I almost want to kind of zoom out even from sports betting and talk about casinos and the lottery and all forms of state sponsored gambling and and how just as a a matter of public policy, these types of things are exploitative uh, to, to low income families, uh, to low income individuals, we should say, uh, and ultimately costing taxpayers unbelievable amounts of money, just making it bad public policy, no matter whether you think placing a bet is, is sinful or not. Sure. Yeah. So, so, and I, I do. So, I'm gonna touch. That's a kind of a two-part question. So, I'm gonna touch on the first part first. This idea of being sinful and Christian values, and somehow this is a moral thing. If, if you don't, if you're someone who doesn't believe in God, like a lot of the a lot of folks say, well, I don't believe in God, but you know, I believe in 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 love and all these other values. Well, you know, for me, like God in its core is, is love, right? So, this is a public policy that is the complete opposite of love. It's driven by greed. It's driven by exploiting your neighbor. Your, your, your success in, in predatory gambling only comes at someone else's expense. And that's the complete opposite of love. Like the idea that we're all, you know, a shared oppor- you know, growth and so on, for that we all have an opportunity to grow as people. So 
this is we this is a, a business model that leaves millions of Ohio citizens as essentially as wasteful as being wasted. Like they are relegated as expendable to society because fifty percent of the profits, whether it's the lottery, your regional casinos, or online gambling, comes from citizens who are addicted to this business. That's the business model. It's based on addiction. Mm. The casual player is irrelevant to the business model. And and of those people who are addicted, it's disproportionately coming from low-income people, okay? So for those of you who say, well, the lottery, we don't prey on low-income people, there's a reason why all the regional casinos and especially your lottery outlets, which are, which are the biggest predatory gambling operator in the state, are congregated in low-income areas, okay? They market these games as a chance to, you know, to, to get fast money. So if, let's say you have, you, have, you have to pay your rent at the end of the month, or you have a major healthcare expense, or you just lost your job. Like this is positioned to you as a chance to save your financial future, right? But it, but it's a con, and, and I should have started with this. What, the reason, what makes this business different, the, the commercialized gambling business different than any other business in Ohio, okay? Including other vices like tobacco and alcohol, is it's a big con. All right, if you went out and order a slice of pizza, you order a Coke, you had a glass of wine, you know, that's what you receive in return. Commercialized gambling is a financial exchange, okay? That's what it is. It's a financial exchange, but it's a financial exchange that is mathematically stacked against you so that the longer you participate in it, the more frequently you participate in it, you end up losing all your money, okay? It's a form of consumer financial fraud, just like price gouging and false advertising. So like, if you're somebody, you know, who talks about you have good values and you love other people, but you don't have a faith in God. Like, however that fits, like this is, this goes against anything it means to be a good person. Okay. You can't build a good society when, when we're about ripping off our neighbor, when the public voice of American government is about ripping off your neighbor. It's a lie. Yeah. That's, that's a great point, Les. And something that, that I've been thinking about preparing for today, preparing for our conversation is, is that idea that this is a, this is a con and we see gambling being couched in sort of this idea that it's somehow a civic good, whether that's through the lottery and it's going to benefit schools. Or I'm thinking of a story that we just saw come out of Cleveland with uh, Bernie Kosar, the, the longtime Browns quarterback, and he was removed from the team's radio network because he placed a bet on the Brown Steelers game and said that he was going to give the proceeds to charity. Like if you gamble and then give it away, it's somehow okay. Well, he ended up losing that bet and he lost $19,000. Now, granted, Bernie Kozar can probably absorb that a lot better than, than other people can, but you're seeing these optics of, well, yeah, you put money into it, but this money can end up going to a good place, but it's creating all this devastation in its wake in reality. Yeah. There's no, you know, I like to say there's like, you know, whether it's, whether it's supposedly paying for education or for anything else, like, there's, there's no that the finest education isn't worth it if it causes heartbreak and misery. Okay. And that's what this revenue source does. Like this is a, a, a business that's based on harming people. It, it's putting people into deeper financial problems. It's based on, on turning people, cultivating citizens into turning them into gambling addicts. Like the, the I, I've literally met thousands of citizens in this country, including many from Ohio who become addicted to gambling that's sponsored by the state. 
Okay, like like th- th- this, their lives have been turned upside down from this. The human suffering. If you, if you haven't met a gambling addict, like honestly, you, you have. There's no other addiction that even comes remotely close in terms of the the human tragedy that gambling addiction causes. Because you, could, if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you know so, so that has an enormous amount of problems. But like with a gambling addict, you get all those problems that you have when you're a drug addict. But but at the end of the day, you're completely broke. Like you've lied to people, you, you've lied to all your neighbors and, and family members and coworkers because you've stolen from them. Like you're literally at like the lowest point of any addiction. And that's why people who are get addicted to gambling, one out of five of them uh, commit attempt to commit suicide. And then half of them idealize committing suicide. So like there's no other addiction that comes close to this in terms of the, the human suffering that it causes. So yeah. yet, so it, just because the, the money's going someplace else, like how you make that money matters in, in terms of, you know, just the fact you're giving it to charity, where that money comes from matters just as much away as where you give it. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, how does it happen? So, so Les, like I, as you talk, I'm listening and, and I'm thinking, man, this sounds a lot like the whole marijuana fight, the commercializing marijuana here in the state of Ohio. And you started out with the medical and then you expand the medical into full recreational. Um, and then I'm watching how both sides, Democrats and Republicans play that game. What are you seeing um, nationwide? Like, what is the playbook here? Um, who are the bad actors? You know, we're talking about those who are, are making the bets and we're talking about those who become addicted. But those aren't the only key players in this fight. I think people would be really surprised to know um, who are the key actors in, in getting these uh, these policies passed in, in, in the states. Sure. Well, I think it's important just a quick note on the marijuana lobbying campaigns you're seeing in Ohio and across the country, like, they're using the playbook of the gambling industry. Like the gambling industry mm. has been doing this for the last 40 years in our country. And as they try to, they'll do whatever they can to crack the door open. So in your own state of Ohio, okay, when we just bring it back, you know, 15 years now, on the, the, the people of Ohio for four times voted down casinos in your state. Four times, okay? They said no. But, ne- the, but these powerful financial interests, these billionaire operators in partnership with a handful of politicians from both parties who lust for more political power, they kept driving this forward. Okay. And and, and they said, let's, let's do it one more time. For the fifth time, they spent $50 million on paid media in Ohio and they dragged it across the finish line to legalize regional casinos in your state. And they won by two points. Okay. When they spent 60 million bucks on the fifth try. So like, there's no movement for this. So the, the players are in this, it's a, it's a, it's some, some of the very, already very, very wealthy individuals who are, most of them who are already billionaires, who are driven by greed, who want more money, okay? Uh, and on sports gambling, you have sports owners who are, many of them who are billionaires, who want to, you know, they're, they're, the market share for of fans who follow professional sports, they're, they're, there's less and less people watching pro sports, so they're trying to generate more revenue. And so they're using sports gambling as a vehicle to, to impre- increase their own profits. You have media companies who make money from the advertising that all these gambling companies run, you know, whether it's ESPN, your local uh, sports, your, your local news networks in Ohio and so on. They're all going to make money now by this because they're going to make money from the commercials. And in some cases, some of your national media companies like CBS and so on, like they get they get a partnership. So if, if I send somebody, if somebody from the CBS sports website comes in, you know, signs up for, for the Caesars gambling app through the through the CBS a sports website, like there's a revenue sharing agreement there that CBS might get a cut of those losses, 
from right. citizens when they go into Caesar. So like, it, it, it's incredibly outrageous. And, and and again, on top of that, then you have this partnership with these with these politicians who lust for more power. So it's really kind of we, we call it the gambling power. You have these very kind of elite institutions from both political parties pushing for this. And and it, it, again, it's not being driven. No one, no citizen in Cal in, in Ohio, at least very few, were pounding the table saying, you know, I want an online casino in my bedroom. Like no, no one's wanting. You know, there's no grassroots movement for this. It's, it's driven by these interests, and then they shape the public taste. They, they by, by make by using the advertising, they're normalizing it. They say now, you know, you want your to be a sports fan, you could have money on the game. That's what it's all about. I'll I'll say too. This goes back to something we've been talking about for a while uh, at CCV, which is the need to uh, increase the threshold. Our state constitution is sixty percent. Um, it's it's to that point. Less. I mean, I've, we've used this story a number of times now. Of our constitution's just up for sale right now because it's such a low threshold. And there's industries like whether it's the drug industry, whether it's uh, it's gambling, uh, the casinos, and at others that they know they can just. It's the ROI is worth it for them to just keep spending money to change our state constitution. And once it's in there, it's darn near impossible to get out. Um, well, and just to give an example, a, a, an example from November, and this is the kind of money we're talking about here. The state, and this is, it also shows how there's no grassroots movement for this. The people in, in California this last year in November, there was two referendums to try to pass sports gambling. They spent a total of $600 million dollars to try to pass those referendums to get the people of California to vote vote for vote for sports gambling and the people of California voted almost like 70% no against these referendums despite the those are the two the 600 million was the most ever spent on referendums in American history okay so like and they they lost you know and the gambling interest lost 70% of you know by 70% of the vote it's incredible so like that, that's that's a critical understanding this like what people do privately is different this is if you have somebody who wants to change the direction of society, like this is your issue. Like this, this is America's most neglected major problem. It affects families. It affects businesses. If you're a small business that relies on discretionary income, like you're, you're paying the price for all this. Like all, all this money that people are losing, that's money they're not spending at your business. So like it affects all almost all as, aspects of society. And um and so it, this is it should be this needs to be on your agenda if you're somebody who wants to make a difference in America. And I just want to I want to drive a, another point home for folks because I remember it's probably I don't know ten plus years ago and, and it was it might have been something I heard from you less um, that that made this click because again I think one of the things we want to do here with the narrative is is help folks understand you know this issue from a really practical standpoint but from from a public policy uh, perspective the the difference of say um, you know two friends betting dinner on a game right. Or a bunch of friends uh, all going in uh, together and everyone putting twenty bucks in for a fantasy football league is that and and what we're talking about here is that you have a third party that is not making any risk, taking any risk that's making money on the transaction. That's and 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 the government profiting off of that uh, on top of it, right? That's from a public policy standpoint. That's that's the difference between saying, hey, we're not we're not supporting banning gambling altogether or 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 banning people betting with each other or doing a fantasy football league we're saying we're, we're banning we, we prohibit or, or we oppose predatory or exploitative gambling where you have one party the the casino the house the sports betting book the lottery um, yeah. the, the lottery um that 
that is not observe that, that's not absorbing really any of the, the the risk. They're not putting any money up, right, um, of their own, um, and and so th- therefore, you know, th- this is what really stacks the odds against them. So even when even when somebody does hit, whether it's the lottery or or hits a bet, um, you know, they're still profiting majorly off it. They're they're never losing on the way they 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 rig it, they con it uh, to work. This is the this is the public policy that 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 we're saying is when a third party is profiting on when you have the bookie, when you have the house, when you have the the lottery company, when you have them making money on it and they have all the incentive to exploit and and pressure people and they have none of the risk, that's the issue. And and that's what what for decades, centuries really in America, that's what we've said, hey, that is wrong. That's where exploitation happens. That's what happens slowing time. Is that, is that right? But, but, in a, but in a phrase, it's because it's a form. What you just described very eloquently is a form. That's a form of financial fraud. It's a form of right. consumer financial fraud, like price gouging and false advertising, both of which are illegal. This form of financial fraud is still illegal unless you partner with the state. It, again, it's, it's illegal for any of us to run a, a sports betting ring for, for profit. Okay, it's only legal when you partner with the state. And that's that's a critical distinction. Well, Les, in our last few minutes here, I think we've pretty well covered the problem. Uh, I, I would hope that anybody who's listened to this point sees this as the serious issue that it is. Your organization is called Stop Predatory Gambling. So what are some solutions? What can we look forward to? How can we maybe start to turn the tide on this on this issue? Sure. So we we like to describe we, we have three pillars of gambling reform. That's what we call them. The, the first pillar is, is to restrict gambling, advertising, and marketing in America today, just like we do for other dangerous and addictive products. So Purdue Farmer, many of you know that's the company name that that created all the opioids. Like they weren't, they're not marketing every billboard, you know, at the stadium and everything else, like to, to get people to to buy, you know, to use opioids. Like you, they're not allowed to market that product that way. Okay, this is a dangerous addictive product that's been identified by the science. We need to restrict the gambling and advertising, uh, like we do for other products similar to that. So that's priority one, and especially to protect kids. Right? We shouldn't be advertising in the middle of the day, you know, gambling ads while kids are watching these sporting events, and they shouldn't be exposed to that. They're not, not exposed to Marlboro ads anymore, like they used to be. This, we need to treat it the same way. Uh, the, the second pillar of gambling reform is to uh, cut the amount of gambling losses that the American people and the people of Ohio are suffering to predatory gambling by 50% over the next eight years, okay? Collectively, as a people in America, we're going to lose more than $1 trillion of personal wealth to gambling over the next eight years, all right? So the goal is cut that by 50%. In Ohio, those numbers, I think Ohio is at least like 2 to $3 billion a year that citizens are losing of personal wealth to commercialize gambling, like huge sums of money. Cut that by half, by 50%. And the way you do that is eliminating the most extreme forms of gambling, like online gambling, slot machines, you know, the $20, $30 scratch tickets, you know, the most the most high-priced games. Eliminate those those games. That, that's, that, that's a big part of that reform. Um, and then the third part, uh, the third pillar is to stop the practice of gambling companies, including the lottery, of getting 50% of their, of their gambling profits from citizens who become addicted to, to gambling, okay? Like right now, like, you know, all these companies, and they're essentially exempt from like litigation. Like if, 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 you're, if you're a bartender and you overserve someone alcohol and someone gets harmed by that, like you can sue that bartender. These casino operators and, and these online gambling operators, like 
because the state's a partner, you cannot bring litigation against them. So we need to end the practice of the, the casino companies making half their profits from citizens who are addicted to this. And and so one of it's holding them li liable for this. Um, and, and the other part of it is just slowing the games down. Like just, you know, like all, all the all, all these games are meant to make you play as fast as possible. So like put, you know, slow these games down, restrict the amount of wagering people can do. And that, that'll slow it down dramatically, the, the harm that's being caused. Well, Les, we really appreciate your time and your insight and all that you and your organization are doing on this issue. And uh, I know our, our audience is better for having heard all about this. And we thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Again, the name of our organization is Stop Predatory Gambling. So appreciate the work you guys do. And thanks for the opportunity today. This episode of The Narrative has been presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you found today's episode insightful, go ahead and leave us a review or a rating, and please subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The Narrative is hosted by me, Mike Andrews, Aaron Baer, and David Mahan. Take care, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative.